cab. She starts hitting him. And the cab driver turns around and says, Oh, Mr. Moore, you got you a mean one tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, great stuff. Hey, folks, we are talking to Joe West, legendary retired umpire who umped the most games in baseball history. Joe, great to have you with us. Well, it's good to be here. It's good to to be seen and not viewed. (laughs) Well, that's for sure. That's for sure. Hey, um, you know, one of the things that Fish and I always talk about uh, a lot is, you know, baseball being too slow. You actually criticized baseball not too long ago for being too slow. We obviously agree with you. Do do you have any, now that you're out of baseball, do you have any um, remedies or solutions to make baseball better? Well, I, I think one of the things that, that they do wrong is uh, they they teach these kids today to work deep in the count. You know, if you work deep in the count with Tom Seaver, after three pitches, you were in the dugout. You know, <laughs> if, if you took three or four pitches on Steve Carlton, you're gone. You know, so I, I think they're teaching the game a little different than when we were used to coming up. You know, the big red machine in Cincinnati uh, – they didn't, they didn't take pitches. If you threw the ball where they could reach it, they were swinging. And, uh, and, and in fact, one of the, one of the players, I want to say some 20 years after the big red machine asked me, he said, what's the greatest team hitting team you've ever saw? And he said, you think it's the Yankees? And I said, Oh, absolutely not. They take too many pitches. And he said, well, who was, I said, the, the reds from the middle seventies, because every one of them would hit, you know, it, it was, uh, and so I, I think some of it's the evolution of how they're teaching these kids to play today. And the umpires uh, aren't taking control either. We should be walking up the, the line of the, the team coming out of the dugout saying, hey, let's go. Come on. We got, got a game to play here. And there's another thing that no one wants to address because of the medium, and that's the time between innings. I can remember when there was no time between innings. And we went to a minute and 40 seconds. And I think there was two pitchers that complained. One of them was Randy Jones and one of them was Seaver. Mm-hmm. And then they went to two minutes. And then there was five or six pitchers. One of them was Steve Carlton. Two minutes between innings, that doesn't sound like a lot today because it isn't. Today it's, it's 2.30 and three minutes. And, yeah. and that's, why, that's why the game's taking too long. And for the life of me, if you watch a stock car race on TV, they have a split screen when they go to the commercial so they don't miss anything. Yep. We, you mean to tell me we can't do that in, in baseball? We should be able to do that in baseball too, you know? Yeah. Well, so, I got a yeah. rules check for you, uh, Joe. A rules check is this. It is, they kind of did a, a – a, a, Major League Baseball Network did a recap of how this whole thing started. It said that Nomar Garcia-Para and Derek Jeter – by stepping out of the box and all that crap with their wrist, actually added 30 seconds to each pitch. Then you got guys like Canley Jansen that take 48 seconds. Is it yeah. true? I'm asking you the rules. Can a pitcher dictate the time? In other words, if the if if Tim McCarver throws the ball back to Bob Gibson, can he fire it away right now? And whether or not the batter's in the box or not, does that pitch count? Well, if the batter's not in the box, they're going to stop play. But they're trying to get it to where the batters can't leave the box in the major leagues. And they've been very successful with it in the minor leagues. And some of these new pitchers that are coming up today are working with a pitch clock. So you actually see, you'll actually see situations where the umpire's not ready because the pitcher's getting the ball and ready to throw it to the plate. But um, if you'll remember, and Jim Cott, 
was probably the oh, best yeah. at getting the ball and throwing it to the plate. Absolutely. Uh, I, I remember watching Steve Ripley one day. He would he stood in front of the plate and he held his hand out like, "Oh, please don't throw it till I get back there." <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> but uh, you got guys like that that keep the game moving. And I can remember uh, we had a doubleheader in St. Louis one time, and the first game was an hour and thirty seven minutes. The second game was an hour and fifty one minutes. We can't play one game in the length of time it took the Phillies and the Cardinals to play two. Yeah. And that and that's that's sad. But I, I think a lot of this has to do with again, the umpires need to take charge, get them on the field, let's go get in the box. And then uh, I mean I actually called a strike on Raul Mondesi one day because he wouldn't come to the plate. And Lasorda came, came out arguing, he says, you know. I don't mind you calling it a strike, but bring it up a little bit. That might have been low. <laughs> <laughs> Number 47. You know, Joe, you've been doing this since 1976. I looked at you. I mean, that's crazy. I mean, decades that you've been a major league umpire. I'm, I'm shocked that you still have your gravelly voice, that masculine voice, because how many times you've been hitting the nuts by a, by a foray baseball? It's either a wild pitch or a pass ball, because I heard an umpire say, I won't mention names, that Steve Yeager used to have a thing with the Dodgers when he when when Bert Hooten was he'd do a little thing and move and the ball Hooten had a way of throwing the ball where it hit the plate and it bounced into the up to the umpire's crotch. How many times have you been hitting the crotch? We have fans that want to know this. <laughs> this is, Sorry, this this might be one of the dumbest questions I've ever had to answer, but if you'll notice that uh, most umpires work over the inside shoulder of the catcher when there's a right-hand hitter you're over the left shoulder of the catcher left-hand hitter you're over the right shoulder of the catcher, and that's for safety purposes and the what i mean by that is if there's a foul ball that comes off the inside cylinder of the bat it's going to slow down if a foul ball comes off the outside cylinder of that bat it's going to accelerate and i can prove this even though the laws of physics don't make any sense because you would think the bat moving forward would slow the ball down, but a ball coming off the outside cylinder bat, he can foul it into the upper deck. There's not a pitcher in the world that can throw it into the upper deck. So how did it get up there when he's swinging the other way? And so you have to work over the inside shoulder for safety precautions. And if, uh, if Steve Yeager got out of the way, I'd be yelling at him. He was actually a pretty good catcher to work behind. <laughs> he let you well, see that. He liked you. He cared about your package. That's why I mean, you, didn't, you didn't piss him off, Joe, or Dodger, or Lasorda, you know. So, you know, Lasorda was a was a classic person. He he's one of the few people that if he ever met you or your family, he would remember their name. He had that knack. I, there's been a couple people like that that I met. Rudy Gatlin's one of them, uh, wow. who, who's with the Gatlin brothers, and yeah. and Lasorda's another one. My football coach in college, Red Wilson, was that way. He could, he would remember every little detail. And uh, but uh, when I first came to the big leagues, uh, Lasorda was the third base coach. He wasn't even the manager yet. So Walter Alston was there. Yeah, yeah. What yeah. a dichotomy in personalities. I mean, I grew up in Los Angeles, Joe, and you know, I'm 60, 61, and Alston was sitting in the dugout, as you know, like this. And here comes Lasorda, like he's on, he's on meth. I mean, it's just a difference in personalities, and they were both very successful. I got a couple of videos I want to show you, Joe. Two um, are you. 
and how you really do take it. This is fantastic. So we're going to show the video, and then want your comment after this first one. Marisnik takes off. You'll love it, Joe. It's great. Second. Oh, it hits. It's not embarrassing. West just drilled him. Junior was closing hard from center field, but might have saved Boston an extra base here. It'll be a steal for Marisnik. So watch when Vasquez throws it. It just locks in on Joe West, and he could not move and to get out of the way. You know, the Red Sox thanked me for that. They said that ball had gotten by. That guy would have gone to third. <laughs> and you know what? The ball just tailed into me. Here I am trying to turn around with it, and it just it kept sliding back toward me. And at the last minute, I'm going, no, this is not going to be pretty. <laughs> so, well, in the, in the YouTube cavalcade of Joe West moments, this is my favorite. you got to remember this one. I want uh, your take the all-star break, and he could – It'll be in, it could be very well in double digits. Off the umpire, oh. and that's a foul ball. Joe West gets drilled, and he appears none the worse for it. <laughs> He's a strong man. Nice. Joe, Joe can't move. He's hilarious, that's, isn't it? You know, Stephen Vogt is like, well, how you sure it's foul? Oh, I got his tongue. <laughs> That, I tell you, Stephen Vogt is thinking, I hit that ball on the screen. You didn't yeah. flinch. Vogt did say that. He said, that's my best shot. You didn't even flinch. Yeah. <laughs> oh, great. Yeah. And the oh, announcers had a lot of fun with that. You took that great, man. You did the old flex like you were Hulk Hogan. <laughs> Let's go in the wrestling ring. I mean, seriously, how many times you've been, how many times in all the decades that you, have you been hit and have you been, have you ever been injured seriously? You know, there was an overthrow at third base in Cincinnati, and I, because the runner was running into third base, I went to cover the play at third base, and when the third baseman picked up the ball, he didn't throw it to third base, he threw it to second. And I was right in the line of fire, and he hit me right in the jaw. And uh, it swelled up really bad. Uh, but I didn't leave the field. I did kind of like I did there, you know, be a tough guy. Don't let them know they hurt you, right? So – Ronnie Ooster was the third base coach for the for the Reds, and he was a pretty feisty little player when he played. He came out to coach third base the next inning. He says, whatever I ever said to you, I apologize. I will never mess with you again. <laughs> <laughs> but you wasn't it about uh, maybe about six, seven years ago. You took a you took a shot in the head on a line drive, didn't you? And didn't you have to leave a game? No, I think the worst I ever got hurt was uh, either in Philadelphia when Lonnie Smith hit me with a bat or uh, the ball they threw from the upper deck in Milwaukee that hit me on top of the head. <laughs> some fan some fan what? threw a ball from the upper deck. Really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, and, and, and after that, uh, my wife's walking out of the ballpark to get to the car, and, and who gets off the elevator but Bob Euchre, and, and he looks at her and he says, he says, Rita, you don't really think they were throwing it, Joe. And she kind of cut her eyes at him and said, maybe we should sign that son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> That's, my God. You, you, I was going to say, Joe, one, one of the funnier moments was you doing the stare down with Madison Bumgardner. Uh, it had to be about two or three years ago, I think it was. And then... Um, was it was it Jimmy Rollins that slid into the base? Uh, the next day, day, yeah, yeah, the next day. He was. I gotta uh, tell you, 
Every time I see Jimmy from now on, he stares at me. (laughs) But but Bumgarner was upset that he walked the guy. He wasn't even mad at me on that, but he was mad about a pitch a couple pitches earlier, but he wasn't mad at me on that pitch. But he yelled profanity where everybody on the infield could hear it. And he needs to know that, you know, there's women and children sitting in the stands, and if you're going to yell profanity, yell at the center field, not not where people can hear it who are paying to see you play. So – that was what that was about. In fact, uh, the catcher, um, he says, uh, what's going on? I said, just sit down. It'll be okay in a minute. He'll either be here or he won't. <laughs> so <that> was, uh, <laughs> and, I, and, and Madison knew he was wrong. You know, that, that was, uh, that was just uh, frustration at the time. Yeah. Talk about the, the change in, in, have there been changes in the strike zone? Because, I was watching, I was, it was a Yankee Red Sox game the other night and um, uh, Boone got thrown out of the game. And, you know, when I, when I saw it on the screen with the, you know, with the square that they superimpose, I kind of thought, yeah, it kind of makes sense. And then they showed a side view without the screen. They showed a side view and I go, that pitch hit him right at the knees. That was a strike. Is yeah. what what's your what's your recommendation for fans who are watching the game who go oh it wasn't you know it wasn't even in there or oh you know that was right there is is the what's superimposed on television is that good or bad? Well, it's supposed to give you an idea of what they think the strike zone is, but they're not. See, the umpires aren't graded on that strike zone; they're graded on a different system, and uh, and the system is not perfect. But neither is that that box is far from perfect. They had. They had a game a couple of weeks ago that was uh, the Cardinals and the Mets and the Cardinal broadcast feed had the ball outside and the Met feed had, had it on the, in the strike zone. Hmm. So they're not even using the same, the same box. And wow. then the umpire strike zone that he's getting graded on is different from those two. Uh, and, and that's one of the fallacies of using television to help you, but the replay system in itself has been very good, but they can't get a replay system for the strike zone because the strike zone is three-dimensional yeah. and that box yeah. is linear. And uh, so it's not accurate from the beginning. And then any sniper will tell you that you have to triangulate the target and they're biangulating the target of the baseball and they're using algorithms to show where it ends up. They're not even showing the exact position of the ball when they grade the umpire. So it's not, it's not perfect. But what it has done, it has made all the umpires bring the strike zone into a certain area, which is very good for the game. But don't tell me that this umpire scored 85. Don't tell me he scored 84. Don't tell him he scored 89. When I umpired my last two years, we didn't have an umpire that scored under 95 on anything. Under 95 now. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I know you saw the the thing earlier this year where Schwarber got mad at Angel Hernandez, mm-hmm. and they said the pitch was outside. You know, I called Angel the next day because somebody had said he scored eighty six or something on his score, and he, I said, "What was your score?" He said ninety six. I said, "Then where did they say that pitch was?" He said they called it a strike, and of course the announcers are saying it's outside. Well, if it was outside, why didn't you show it from the overhead camera? They didn't because mm-hmm. it wasn't outside. And that that's a big problem. You know, you, you can't be telling the people at home that the umpire missed a play or pitch when he didn't. 
And that's not, it's not fair to the umpire. It's not, it's not fair to the game. And that, that's a bad thing. So well, I remember talking to Dwayne Stats years ago when he used to announce for Houston. And Dwayne used to say, you know, when we have a close play, we try to leave it up to the fans when we show it over and over again. He says, we don't say yes or no whether the umpire's right or wrong. We, we leave it to the imagination of the fans, and that mm-hmm. creates interest. You know, Now, he may have changed his tune since he's now announcing for the race, but um, that that happens, you know. But uh, for the most part, you you got guys like uh, Vince Scully used to get mad when the umpire would take a long time to call a pitch. You know, he 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 hated Tim McClellan because yeah. Tim McClellan took forever to call it. And Vince had already called it twice before, before Tim <laughs> called it once. It's true. But, yeah. But and and that was because Vince was into the game and he he had a flow for the game and all this stuff. And uh, but there's a, there's a there's a big difference in what goes on when the umpire's taking his time to call a pitch right, and that's what he should be doing. So um, and. and I like to tell people all the time, there's only three ways you can miss a play or a pitch. And that's lack of concentration, lack of positioning to see it, and lack of timing. And timing means wait till you gather all the information and then call it. So it, it's a it's kind of a little scientific approach to it. You know, the judge doesn't make his decision after he hears, you know, the plaintiff's case. He waits till he hears the defense, you know. And so you have to understand – and these guys aren't judges. And uh, I don't, I think the last two or three Supreme Court justices have all said, now I've be- become the final umpire. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, a, that's a term related back to us. And, and Mike Shannon used to say, you know, the, you're the last real official in, in the world. Yeah, there's, there's no bargaining, no nothing. And of course, he said this before we got replays. <laughs> the umpire's decision is final, and that's it. That's the way it goes. But uh, it's an interesting profession when you look at it. And I like to think that we're teaching people, and I have this new podcast I've told you about, that umpires aren't two-headed monsters. They're real human beings, and they're going to make mistakes just like players. The problem is when we make a mistake, they, you magnify it. When Derek Jeter made an error, no one said a word. He said, oh, he just made an error. He, he'll get a base hit next in. Well, the umpire can't come back and get a base hit. <laughs> Because two two mistakes aren't going to correct the one you 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 made a mistake on, and you you look at I'll give you example perfect examples. Jimmy Joyce, the play at first base for the perfect game. Don Denkinger, the play at first base in the World Series. These guys missing those plays crushed them. Yeah, it eats at them. And and I used to tell people I every time I see a, an umpire make a mistake, a little piece of me dies because. I don't want them to ever make a mistake. I want them to be perfect. And I'll never forget when I first worked with Dick Stello, he says, this is the only profession in the world. You got to be perfect. The first day on your job and get better. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Hey, quickly. Um, you mentioned Angel Hernandez and there has been so much criticism of him. Is, is that criticism correct? Or do you think it's, it's, it's overblown? And if so, why? Well, it's overblown because the media's gotten on a bandwagon. They just they just start picking on him. You know, uh, Joe West missed as many plays as Angel Hernandez. Joe West missed as many plays as uh, – I mean, I've been very lucky when I had playoff games. My screwed-up plays, I happened to get right. 
you know, <laughs> Don Dankinger's play at first base in the Cardinals game, he would have gotten that right if he hadn't been hustling. He over-hustled. He ran himself out of position in that play. Uh, and those those kinds of things ha- just happen. Um, but Angel's getting a, a raw deal because he's not a bad umpire. He's a very good umpire. In fact, his, his ratings every year have been high. His strike zone every year has been high. Uh, I think last year his plays on the bases, he was over 98%. And his, and his scores behind the plate were 97, 98. That's excellent. The only the only people that are supposedly better than him are the new guys coming up, and nobody believes them. <laughs> and that's that's happened through all of sports. The young guys, the players don't believe them until they've been there a little while and they get to know who they are. But uh, it's it's very unfair that they're picking on Angel Hernandez, you know. And and the sad part of it is nobody's taken up for him. You know, I'm I'm taking up for him because I know he's a good umpire and he was a good partner. And if you ever saw him around kids, uh, people used to stop by our locker room and they'd bring their little kids with it. He fills up their pockets with candy. <laughs> and I remember these two little kids we took to the game in Tampa one time. And we Angel filled up their pockets with candy. And they go up and sit in the stands with their dad. And somebody yelled at Angel. And the kids got up and hit the guy in front of him and says, hey, he's our friend. Don't you be saying anything about him. <laughs> That's great. What do you got, Fish? Fish, he's can you thinking, hear us? He's thinking. thinking. Oh my God! Yeah, I don't even know if he's even there. Oh my he's, God! He's yeah. in deep. He's in deep thought right now. <laughs> well, he's 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 been having some uh, 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 connection problems, and he can't hear. Oh my God! Okay, yeah, that's what he's doing. He's having some problems there. Okay, hang hang in there, Joe. So let, let me ask you this. Um, Tell me about where your podcast is so folks can can listen to it. Well, it's called 5460, the Joe West podcast. And it's um, Mike Claiborne is the, the, I guess I'd call him the mediator because <laughs> we have all uh-huh. kinds of guests. I mean, last week we had Charles Barkley. The week before that, we had, uh, we had Larry Gatlin and Dave Casper. And the week before that, uh, we had Joe Buck and... Uh, we had uh, Don Drysdale's uh, wife, and uh, she was she was awesome. It was yeah. the week of uh, Title Nine, and uh, so it was awesome. She came on and she talked about all the things that had happened in her life and her career, and um, and it was it, it was really unique. And we've had Rick Hummel, we had Eduardo Perez, we actually had Jerry Reinsdorf from the White Sox came on and did a session with us. Wow. And wow. he was, he was really cool. He, he, he never lets me up about a balk. I called on Mark Burley. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so can people just get, is it like on Spotify? Is it? Uh, oh yeah. You just, you just download the, the podcast app and you can find it. It says 5460, the Joe West podcast. Now what does 5460 mean? That's the number of games I worked. Ah, okay. All right. Cool. Cool. Wow. Very good. So are, are you enjoying retirement or do you still wish you were out there? Well, I miss the guys and, you know, I don't miss the travel and I don't miss some of the stuff that's going on. You know, I hated the designated hitter uh, and now they put it in both leagues. So oh, I would have been really miserable about that. Uh, I don't like putting a runner on second base. If you're not good enough to, to manufacture a run, I, I don't think you should win a game. 
And I, and I know they're trying to speed up the big game, but they need to do it by using what the game is. They need, they, they need to throw strikes. Uh, when you throw strikes, you, you're going to get outs. And that's what makes the game move. Joe Buck had a statement on the, on his podcast with us. And he says, uh, he says, you know, nobody minds if, if the game's three hours long, as long as there's something going on. But if the waste of time is getting a hitter in the box or the pitcher throwing strikes, that's that's what makes it boring. But if something's happening, they don't mind a three-hour game. The fans don't mind it. The the public does not mind that as long as something's going on. And that and that's a very good point. And it's a very valid point. So I think that uh, you know. Baseball is the greatest sport in the world because you have to hit a round ball with a cylindrical bat, and then you have to hit it square, and then you have to hit it where nobody can catch it. Mm-hmm. And if you if you fail seven out of ten times, you got a good shot of making the Hall of Fame. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it's a, it's a unique sport, and one of the crazy things about it is it's typically American. When when somebody loses, they always want to blame somebody else. And usually it's the umpire that they want to blame. So, <laughs> but you know, there I had a long talk with Paul Beeston one day, and he said, "Don't you think we should get rid of the shift?" And I said, "No, because if they're too stupid not to hit it the other way, they deserve to be out." The only guy that could hit the ball through the shift was Ted Williams, and he's dead and gone. Yeah. I, I said they asked Rod Carew one day, "What would what would you hit in the shift?" He said, "900." Just like yeah. that, I'd hit 900, and I got I got this from his agent. Uh, um, he he said, uh, you know what Rod's uh, career batting average was when he bunted. Now think about this: what was his batting average when he bunted? I'm I'm going to guess he probably was over 500. 700. Wow. Now wow, the only reason he didn't bunt every time is because when they played in, he didn't want to bunt it to him. But if they played back, he was going to lay down a bunt, and he was going to be on base seven out of ten times. And I mean, he was he was such a tremendous hitter. He handled the bat so well, you know. And here's a good here's a good funny story for you. I love this story. He's, they used to have a the honorary captains for the All Star teams, right? So he's the honorary captain out in Anaheim, and uh, Dustin Pedroia went up to him and says, "Hey, Rod, what's your favorite song?" Your music, what's your, what's your favorite song? He said the national anthem. <laughs> and Pedroia said, why the national anthem? He said, because I knew when I heard it, I was going to get two hits. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I got to tell you, I agree with you on the shift. I think they should keep the shift because I, you're right. I can't understand why the whole left side of the infield's open and you're a left-handed hitter and you can't bunt it or – push it through. I agree with you. And I think there's, there's hitters there that should be doing that more than anything else. Um, did you have, did you have any managers that you were like, Oh God, I, I just, I can't stand them. And then afterwards you're friends with them. You know, I don't think I missed a year where I didn't kick Dick Williams out. Yeah. And Dick Williams <laughs> stood, stood up for me in a lot of situations with, with the national league. Um, but I didn't know it till after he had retired. But uh, it was funny when when he retired. If he was scouting, and the last job he had was scouting for the Yankees. If he re- when he retired, 
if I was working the game, he'd come down to the screen and yell at me to say hello. And uh, he was he was one of the, the toughest guys we ever had to deal with. But uh, once once the thing was over, and I'll give you another, Earl Weaver. Earl Weaver never finished a game I was in. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad you brought that up. I've been waiting to get this in. Okay, he, this is not he, a G-rated show, Mr. He, West. He, he, never finished, he never finished the game I was in. I had him in two spring training games. I kicked him out of both of them. The first, the first one, he said, uh, "You'll never see the big leagues making calls like that." Rick Dempsey said he's been here four years, <laughs> <laughs> but he was in the American League and I was in the National League. So, but uh, he came to a golf tournament that I helped sponsor down at Doral. He was one of the best celebrities you could possibly have at a golf tournament. He was cordial to everybody. And he really appreciated how much baseball had given him. And uh, he would never say a bad word about baseball. In fact, in his induction speech, he said, he said, I got kicked out of a lot of games. And he says, and uh, the only ones I didn't get kicked out of, the umpires got right. <laughs> so he was, he, he was just a special kind of person, you know. And uh, But he was a Jekyll and Hyde. When he was on the field, he was a maniac. And you get him off the field, he was a perfect gentleman. So, but Dick Dick Williams and he and uh, you know who used to be tough on young umpires was Chuck Tanner. Ah. And he, he would pick on the young umpires until they stopped him. And I'll never forget, I was in spring training. I think it was the year they brought me to the big leagues. And Al Barlick was our supervisor. And Al's a Hall of Fame umpire. And I kicked Tanner out of the game and he said something the same vein about like Weaver said, you'll never see the big leagues. And the next thing I hear is this guy's Al Barlick. He's screaming at Tanner from the fence behind the home plate. And he said, that kid will be here when you die. <laughs> Just like he's yelling at him <laughs> as he's leaving the field. And I, I later on in life, I, I got to know Chuck Tanner. Chuck Tanner introduced me to a good friend in New York who was in the record business. And, uh, um, but, uh, and, and Chuck, once you showed him that you weren't going to back down, he would leave the umpire alone. But he picked on every young umpire that came up. Wow. Hey, uh, Joe, uh, they call you Country Joe because you, you do some country singing. You've actually performed at the Grand Old Opry, right? Yeah, that was a cool deal. That was a, a fundraiser for a, a Catholic school up in Nashville. And Sam Lavella put that on. He was... Uh, the producer of every hee haw. So I, I not only sang at the Grand Ole Opry, I sang with the hee haw band at the Grand Ole Opry. It was pretty cool. Wow. <laughs> so that was, that was the fun. Boxcar Willie introduced me. It was, wow. a, it, it was a neat night. So and, are you still doing any performing? Cause I know when you and I were at a celebrity golf event in Jamaica, I mean, you had your golf bag and then you also had your guitar with you. So are you still performing? Well, if you remember, Jason Sheff played in that golf tournament. He was the yeah. bass player for Chicago. Chicago, yeah. And they were trying to get him to entertain, and they couldn't find a mic stand. They had a microphone, but they didn't have a stand for him to play the piano. So I was the mic stand for Jason Sheff. <laughs> <laughs> and we've remained friends over the years. He's, his, uh, he used to live in L.A., and he'd take his son to the games and uh, I'll never forget he brought his son to the game. He was about, I want to say, 10 years old when he brought him. And he came to the locker room, and uh, 
So I asked him, I said, what's your favorite number? Cause I was going to get him a Dodger Jersey. And, uh, he looked in the, he looked at my locker and it said 22. Cause that was my number. And he immediately said 22. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I had a Jersey made with chef on the back and 22. It was, it was cool. So. Wow. All right. Well, we've been talking to legendary umpire, Joe West, who has more games than any other umpire in baseball history. Joe, give us, uh, give us again, your, the name of your podcast. 5460, the Joe West podcast. All and, right. uh, and you can get, you can pick it up anywhere, right? Yeah. And it, we have all the podcasts we've done uh, from Mark Grace to Charles Barkley. Uh, we're going to, we're going to try to get Jimmy Leland on in a couple weeks. I know Hawk Harrelson and we had our little battles, but Hawk's been, been a good friend another another one you know you get him away from the microphone and he's a different guy <laughs> hawk was a, a big time supporter of the white Sox, and uh but uh i haven't i haven't really tried to get anybody this active because i don't want to take them away from what they're trying to do and uh i learned i learned this a long time ago joe morgan asked me one time he says Who's the best ball player you ever saw? I said, well, Joe, I always say Willie Mays because then I don't make anybody mad. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Hey, one real quick question before we let you go, Joe. When you talked to Barkley, did he talk about the live golf at all? No, that hadn't hadn't come up yet. So uh, he did, you know, we did get into his commercial aspects, you know, mm -hmm. uh, about when he gets picked by that little girl to play on his team and he says, I knew I hadn't lost it, you know, and I said, Charles, that's not my favorite. My favorite commercial is the one where they say you're so famous for being a bad golfer. <laughs> he, he loves doing those commercials with those kids. He, he's, yeah. uh, and you know what? A lot of people don't know this. I've known Charles, I've known Charles longer than I've known you because uh, okay. uh, I actually played golf with him when he was a 10 handicap and he ain't been a 10 handicap in a long time. <laughs> so. But uh, he's he does a lot of charity work that no one knows about, and uh, I I brought that up in the in the podcast, and I I let him you know expound on that, and he gives a lot of money to colleges, and you know what he did say it was very interesting. He says, you know, Joe, I go talk to these kids in schools, and if it's a predominantly white school, I ask him what they want to be when they grow up, and they'll all say doctors, lawyers, firemen teachers and so on and so on. He said, I go talk to a predominantly black school and they all want to be Michael Jordan. And I have to tell them everybody can't be Michael Jordan. He said, I can't, everybody can't be me, you know? And he says, I, I grew up, I played basketball. I love to play basketball. And then I got a scholarship to play basketball. Then they paid me money to play basketball. And then they, then they come to me and ask me, will you watch basketball? And we'll pay you for that. And he says, I got the greatest job in the world. He says, but these kids are not going to all grow up to be me or Michael Jordan. He said, they have to get an educate, And he, he preaches it to him. And I'll give him credit. He, he works hard at trying to get kids to understand how important an education is. So he does. I agree with you. Charles is one, he's one of the great ones. I, uh, I'm not crazy about him going to the live, but, uh, to be honest with you, he's, <laughs> he's one of the guys that I've really enjoyed, uh, uh, I've done a lot of celebrity golf events with him and he and I ended up sitting together for a long time there. So uh, I agree with you. And he, when I met him, you're right. He was not a 10 handicap by any means. <laughs> no, uh, no. And, and that, that's just great. He did a, he did a thing one time and he told Nike, he said, I want you to put this out. I don't want to be a role model. 
And right yeah. after he said that, Harry Callis and I pulled him aside in Philadelphia. He still has a house in Philadelphia. We pulled him aside and said, Charles, you don't get it. You're a role model whether you want to be or not. And his best explanation that he's ever come up with, he said, I want kids to grow up thinking their parents are role models and making the parents responsible for them being what they are. He says, they shouldn't look at professional athletes to be a role model. He said, I understand. And he said, Nike put the thing out and told him, he said, you're going to get murdered for this. But the feedback from everybody that wrote Nike was positive because yeah. It meant, you know, your your role models should start at home. And so I, I give him credit. It In the beginning, I didn't see any way this was going to be a positive thing, but it, it has turned out to be very good for him. Yep, yep, no. Charles is definitely a man with priorities, and uh, you are a man who is a legend. Joe, thank you so much for taking the time and being here on Daily Fish. Love having you. we got to have you again. Uh, any other controversies come up, let us know. <laughs> okay thank you so much it was great to see you guys all right Thanks, joe. everybody legendary major league umpire joe really appreciate it thank you was everybody happy